Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend message with you from Pastor Heather Zempel, our discipleship pastor. If you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or go to theaterchurch.com. In the book Raw Spirituality, Tom Smith tells a story of a young man who had recently begun to follow Jesus. And he went to the pastor and said, Pastor, I have a problem. I accepted Jesus into my heart a few months ago, and it was wonderful. I go to church every Sunday morning, but at night, I have wild, promiscuous sex. I accepted Jesus into my heart. Now how do I get him into my penis? If you have your Bibles with you this weekend, turn to Matthew 5. And uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is uh, some teachings of Jesus that we refer to collectively as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're walking through a portion of that uh, in this series called Disorientation. And it's disorienting because sometimes the teachings of Jesus are difficult to understand, and they're always difficult to apply. Uh, Blessed are the persecuted, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, love your enemies. And we've got another doozy this weekend. So Matthew 5, verse 27, we read, You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Welcome to National Community Church. <laughs> Hope you're glad you came this weekend. Uh, Ruth, um, Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, was known for her outspoken and blunt and sharp wit and was once asked, did you ever think about divorcing Billy? And she said, divorce, no, murder, yes. I think some of us would probably like to just rewind to last weekend when Pastor Joel talked about murder and anger. What we're talking about this weekend is hard. And it's probably touched all of us in some way or another. And so I just want to take a moment to take a deep breath and invite the Holy Spirit to breathe into this space. Holy Spirit, come. Give us thick skin and soft hearts today to hear your teaching. Open up our ears to listen well. Open up our minds to see anew and afresh from your perspective. Open up our hearts to be transformed. Open up our imaginations to see how you intended and envisioned your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring conviction to sin bring healing to hurts. 
Let your love flood into places of rejection. Would you reverse shame and turn it to significance? Would you bring freedom to places of bondage? Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we dive into the text, I want to give a few anchors to give us some grounding, to give us a foundation and a filter through which to understand this teaching. Because we cannot fully understand these words of Jesus in isolation from the rest of his teaching, and I would say from the rest of the Bible, and we shouldn't try to apply it outside of a broader understanding of the context. Now, I also want to just give a disclaimer that each of these four anchors, which are in some way meant to simply be an introduction, would require an entire sermon series to unpack each of them. So if you would extend me a little grace for being a little bit on the surface, and then I want to encourage you to do a deeper dive on all of them later, and we'll give you some resources for doing that. The first, um, the first anchor that I want to give you is that marriage is an icon, Marriage was meant to be an icon. Now, we don't talk about icons a lot around National Community Church, but an icon is meant to be an earthly window to give us a glimpse into a heavenly reality. Icons are meant to give us pictures of who God is and what he is like. And specifically in the case of marriage, the union of the man and the woman is meant to give us a picture of God's sacrificial love for his people. Now, the theme of marriage weaves itself all the way through the biblical text. We begin at the very beginning in Genesis with the marriage of Adam and Eve. There's a book right in the middle of our Bibles about marriage called Song of Solomon. The prophet Hosea has a difficult marriage. And then at the end of the Bible in Revelation, it ends with a marriage of Jesus to his church. Marriage was designed by God, given by God, intended to be a picture to help us understand who he is, what he is like, and to give us a picture of his sacrificial love for his people. Some would even argue that the physical ecstasy enjoyed in the union of the man and the woman is meant to be a taste of the eternal joys and mystery of heaven. Theologian Christopher West would go so far as to say, all the sexual confusion in the world is the human desire for heaven gone wrong. Throughout scripture, God refers to his love for his people in terms of the love between a man and his wife. So when we read God hates divorce, and some of us have heard that, never known if that was even in the Bible where it was, the prophet Malachi said it, God hates divorce, that sometimes just gets reduced to God really doesn't want you to step out of the morality of this institution of marriage. But it's so much bigger and deeper and significant than that. God hates divorce because in some way it breaks the icon that he gave to the world. It, it taints the icon. It pollutes the image. It breaks and alters that window of understanding something about what God is like. You see, the reason God put guardrails in place for our sexuality was not to give us rules to live by, but to protect the icon. Yeah. 
to keep pure the image of his love for his people. The physical, visible, tangible demonstration of what he's like. Not to deprive us of pleasure, but to elevate who he is. Marriage is an icon. Secondly, marriage is not the goal. Marriage is not the goal. The goal for each of us, as important as marriage is and as important as that icon is, it's not the goal. Becoming more like God is the goal. Sanctification, growing in godliness, becoming Christ-like, being people that are, are abundant in the fruits of the Spirit, that is the goal. And yet sometimes I think the church has communicated marriage is the goal. Now, I've grown up predominantly in Protestant evangelical circles, and what often gets communicated, maybe not in words, but in budgeting and programming and calendaring, is that marriage is the ultimate goal. Everything is centered around, pointed at marriage. And sometimes those who are single are treated as second-class citizens. Or, Or we treat them as though they're just in that holding pattern until they finally get married. In fact, we refer to them as not married yet. And we fail to acknowledge the role that they uniquely play in the story of God. The way God is working through their singleness. Honoring the station that they're in. Celebrating the unique role they play in our communities. In fact, when I was um, a young adult, I actually didn't know if I would ever get married. And I didn't even know if I even wanted to get married which in the church made me a weirdo. And I can't tell you how many teachers and mentors and pastors tried to talk me into marriage and pray me into marriage. And if that is your experience, I am so sorry. And and I hope that at NCC, maybe you found a refreshing place. The majority of our congregation are single. And we celebrate you and we honor you and we hope that you're finding a place to be a part of the story that God is writing. Marriage is not going to be a part of every person's story. Jesus was not married. Paul was not married. Jesus actually redefined what family looks like. And so what I want to speak maybe to our married couples tonight is because marriage is an icon and it shows us something about who God is, remembering that God's love is always gathering and inviting and including, that can we be a place that creates family for others? Would you think about inviting the singles that are in your life, whether it's because they are not married or they have lost a spouse for a number of reasons, would you consider inviting them to your table for meals, for holidays, for vacations? Jesus gave us a spiritual family. What if we actually lived like we believed that? Thirdly, adultery and idolatry are linked You may be here this weekend and you don't think you have an adultery problem, but I'm guessing you have an idolatry problem. Throughout the scripture, we see adultery and idolatry occurring together, being spoken about in similar ways. Now, again, idols, our brain usually goes to little golden statues sitting in the window that someone prays to, and so we also think we don't have an idolatry problem. The reality is idolatry happens when there is a transfer of trust and allegiance or loyalty or faith 
from God to something else. It's a disbelief that we have all we need. It's a grasping for something to complete us, to fill us, to make us better, to cover our bases, to make us something that we feel like we're not. It's an assumption that someone will make us better or something will make us better or something will complete us. And this can occur in marriage. It can occur in our sexuality. It can occur in our relationship with God. In fact, um, throughout especially the Old Testament prophets, we see this connection between adultery and idolatry. Ezra and, um, I'm sorry, Ezekiel and Jeremiah talk at length about this. I've got some verses tonight that if you want to do a deeper dive in this, we've got them on a slide. We'll put them up. You can snap a picture of it. If you want to look at those places where adultery and idolatry are talked about in tandem. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 3, that was the very first problem in the garden. The serpent comes to Eve and says, did God really say? And what he was asking was, did God really give you everything you need? No, he didn't. If you eat that, you will be just like him. You will be complete. You will be better. And Eve grabbed at something that she thought she needed to make herself complete, to allow herself to enjoy a pleasure that God had denied her, to provide something for herself that she thought God withheld. And we all wrestle with that. In that sense, we all have an idolatry problem, so nobody is off the hook this weekend. Number four, Jesus protects women. Jesus was actually revolutionary in the way that he elevated the value, the worth, and the position of women. He made a Samaritan woman an evangelist. In a day when the testimony of women would not stand up in a court of law, he gives the first evidence for the resurrection to women. On the day of Pentecost, women are present and receive the Holy Spirit and become amongst the first preachers of the gospel of Jesus. Women bankrolled the ministry of Jesus. And when a woman was dragged before Jesus, caught in adultery, Jesus says, whoever has no sin, you cast the first stone. Now Jesus also said, go and sin no more, but I want to draw our attention to the fact that his first posture, his first instinct was to protect and in the first century, men were the only people that could initiate divorce. And divorce was very scary for women because it put women in a, in a very difficult, precarious place economically and socially. If we go back to Malachi 2.16, where it says that God hates divorce, it says to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Jesus' teaching on divorce is meant at its heart, I believe, to protect women. And yet how often have we used that very same teaching to convince and shame women into staying in abusive relationships? Marriage is an icon God hates unfaithfulness because it alters, tarnishes, pollutes the image that he wants to give to the world of who he is and what he's like. Marriage is not the goal uh, for 
anyone, and it won't be a goal for everyone. Christ-likeness is the goal. Adultery and idolatry are inexplicably linked, so no one is off the hook this weekend. And Jesus' posture was always to protect, to advance the idea of we're called to love one another and love one another well. So with those things in mind, let's go back to the text. Matthew 5, 27. You've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is very similar to the teaching that Jesus had just given in the passage above that Pastor Joel unpacked for us last weekend, that murder is simply the outward manifestation of inward anger. That adultery is the outward manifestation of something that is wrong with the heart. It begins with the posture of the heart. Now just to be clear in defining adultery, adultery is any kind of sexual activity with someone who is not your spouse. But then Jesus says it goes deeper than that. He says, look, if you've, if you've looked at someone with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And that means adultery can manifest itself in pornography. It, it can manifest itself in, um, in establishing intimate emotional ties with a person who isn't your spouse. Yep. Yep. It can even be in comparing your spouse to someone else and wishing they were more like that person. That's looking at someone with lust. Last week, Pastor Joel shared a little bit about Pastor Jenny Clavel's story. If you don't know Pastor Jenny, she's our campus pastor at Boston Quarter. And he talked about how the pain that she endured as a kid, the wrong things that were done to her as a child, produced anger in her heart. But then he didn't tell the rest of the story because that anger caused her to make some decisions as an adult that almost cost her her marriage. These are her words. I could make excuses to how I let this happen, but what it all boils down to is this. I made my own grown-up choice and walked into adultery. I walked into a relationship that didn't belong to me and didn't walk away until I let it overtake two years, no, three years of my life. In April of 2009, I finally told Brian about my affair. The affair had lasted two years, but I let it steal three from my family and me by hiding it and not revealing it in all its ugliness. She also said this, All affairs begin with a misunderstanding or misalignment of what God feels for us. We don't believe that God truly loves us or that we are enough. I needed to hear, you're enough, you're worth it. So grateful for Pastor Jenny's tremendous humility and courage. And her husband Brian's tremendous humility and courage to share this story. They were able to take something that the enemy, um, the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. Jenny travels the country talking 
about the work that God can do in broken places. Together they have counseled and navigated with dozens of couples that are walking through similar situations. They have once again taken their marriage and it has turned into an icon. It shows us what God's love is like for his people. And here's what I want you to hear. If you're here this weekend, and this is in any way part of your story, welcome home. You belong here. We want you here. And we want to walk with you through this season. We want to be a part of the story that God wants to write in the next chapter of your life. Keep going. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus is speaking here in hyperbole. He does this often. Um, He sometimes makes up his own hyperbole. Sometimes he uses those that are already known in culture. Um, And a hyperbole is a rhetorical device. It's an overstatement to make sure we understand the seriousness, the severity, the intentionality with which we should pay something attention. Um, But when we look at the disciples of Jesus, they never literally moved a mountain or swallowed a camel hole or went through the, um, the eye of a needle. But here's what we do sometimes. Sometimes with hyperbole, we read the hyperbole and we say, oh, well, Jesus didn't really mean to gouge your eye out or cut your hand off. It's just hyperbole. He just means to take it seriously. And then we just move right on to the next thing without taking it seriously. And what Jesus is saying is, no, to really be intentional and serious about getting your heart right is going to be as painful, require the same amount of intentionality is gouging out your eye or cutting off your hand. I want to give you a few tools this weekend for gouging out the eye and cutting off the hand. One, tell your story. In, in church circles, we might call it confession. As Pastor Jenny kind of said in her story, God can't heal it if we don't reveal it. And maybe you think you're long past it. You don't need to tell your story anymore. Here's the deal. Sometimes when you tell your story, you give someone else the permission to go second. Pastor Jenny actually told me that it it was at a dinner that she and Brian were at with another couple where they shared their story of walking through infidelity. And that sparked her. It gave her the conviction and courage to then go second and bring her own story to light. Tell your story. Number two, sabotage yourself. You've got to intentionally put boundaries in place to keep you out of compromising situations or to give you an escape hatch from compromising situations. Put the filter on your phone. Have people around you that can ask any question at any time for any reason. Make pre-decisions about what you will do and where you will be and when you will be there and who will be there with you. There is no one-size-fits-all to this. Because we're all different. So I encourage you to get a small group of trusted voices around you and make pre-decisions to sabotage yourself. Number three, take an inventory. I brought some questions. We're going to put those on the screen. And again, this might be an opportunity to just take a quick picture. Um, 
because there's no way that we can sit in this moment and go through these together. Take an inventory. Take some time to ask the hard questions. Where are we not fully trusting God? Where are we not showing what God's love is like? How are we comparing our spouse to another? How are we living in our singleness in a way that shows something about the image of God? I want to give another step. Um, For those of you that are married, I want to draw your attention to Marriage Matters Date Night. It's an event that's coming up in February. It's an opportunity for us to come together and be intentional about making sure that our marriage is on good tracks moving forward. And so I think we've got a slide for that. We'll put it on the screen, and uh, you might want to take a picture of that as well. It's also on our website. You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce, but I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, there are a couple things that are going on historically and culturally that I think are important. I think sometimes we think, we fail to remember that Jesus actually lived in a real time, in a real place, with real people, with real things going on. And I think some of the teaching related to this is tying back to some things that are happening historically and culturally. One thing that is going on is rabbinical debate. Just before Jesus stepped onto the pages of our earthly history, there were two rabbis, um, Shammai and Hillel. Both of them still, their names are still well known in rabbinical circles. And there was a debate on the teaching on divorce in Deuteronomy 24. And Deuteronomy 24, 1 is the Old Testament law against divorce. And there was a debate that was going on in the background about what that verse meant, what that law meant. Shammai said, it means you do not divorce your wife except in case of infidelity. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, Hillel says, you, don't divorce, you can divorce your wife if uh, she displeases you. Uh, you can divorce her if she burns the toast. That's not my example, that's his. Now all of Jesus' listeners, everybody in his audience knows about this debate. They know that this conversation is happening. And so Jesus in this moment steps right into that debate and takes a side. And he takes a side on the side of Shammai to protect women. It's a more restrictive understanding, again, not to be weaponized, but to recognize that women needed to be protected in that cultural context. He's rooting his interpretation of Deuteronomy in the yoke that he's already offered, that my yoke is easy, my burden is light, love God and love others. But then we find out that's actually pretty difficult to do. Loving others, what does love require of me? He says, no, you only divorce in case of infidelity. We're going to make it hard because that's what loving the other looks like. But here's the other thing that's playing in the backdrop. Not only is there a rabbinical debate, there is a palace debacle. At the time that this is being taught, um, Herod has just married his sister-in-law, Herodias. And they have divorced, each one of them has divorced their spouse in order to marry the other. 
John the Baptist will raise a red flag, will call it sin, and because of that will be thrown into prison and eventually beheaded. Again, all of Jesus' hearers and audience know this. They know what's going on. And so this moment, this moment where he teaches about divorce is almost like an addendum to what he's already said about adultery. He's given this teaching about adultery and then kind of given this little jab at what's going on in the palace and the places of power without mentioning their names. Yeah, you guys are guilty. You guys are out of line. You have committed adultery to marry, and you've you've divorced your spouse to marry one another, and that is adultery. Now, that's not to say that, oh, well, then he's not talking to us today, so we don't have to do anything with this. No, that's just about giving us the tools and the resources and the context so that we can interpret this well. I believe that we land this in attention. On one side of the tension is this idea that God hates divorce. He hates it because it alters and pollutes and breaks the image of love that he has for his people. And it hurts people. At the same time, his heart is to protect the rules about divorce were put in place to make sure that women were not put in dangerous and precarious places economically and socially. So that teaching was never meant to be weaponized, to convince people or shame people, and in our cultural context, anyone, women or men, to stay in a relationship that is dangerous and abusive. As we kind of come to a close, wherever you are in your journey, you may be here and and maybe you're single, you're married, you're divorced, you're just walking through a difficult time related to the things that play out in life because of these things. We love you, we are for you, we're with you. At the core, what this weekend is about is eliminating idols. Where are those places that we are looking to add to, to grasp for, to try to fill in because we feel like in some way God has not been enough? And for those of us who are married, where are we looking for those things? Because we feel like our marriage isn't enough. It's about elevating the icon, realizing that this isn't just a question of morality. This is a question of the image of God in his glory and in his majesty. And it's ensuring that all of us walk in the image of God and in a way that represents the image of God to the world around us. And we are all on a journey with this. So wherever you are, we're glad that you're here. I want to put up a slide that just shows some resources that might be helpful. And again, um, when was the last time a preacher told you three times you could pull your phone out in the middle of a message? You might just want to take a picture of that and take it with you.
And I just want to close um, with a prayer. Father, tonight, I just, I pray that you would help us become aware as a church, as a community, as a family, as a people, how can we be extensions of grace for people who need it most? How can we be agents of reconciliation and forgiveness and hope and healing? Father, for those that are considering a move of unfaithfulness, may the Holy Spirit remind them today that God is enough, that he is sufficient, and that his grace is enough. For those that are here this weekend and they're currently in a cycle of unfaithfulness to their spouse or their future spouse, Holy Spirit, may you convict and point the way back home and give them courage to walk that way. For those here that have been hurt by unfaithfulness, Father, would you bring hope and healing and restoration. For those this weekend who are considering divorce, my prayer for you is that you would walk in wisdom, in humility, and accountability with your spiritual family. For those who are walking through the process of divorce right now, I pray that the Holy Spirit would extend to you peace that goes beyond your ability to comprehend and give you the courage to pursue reconciliation wherever it's possible. For those who are seeking healing and restoration after divorce, I pray for community, for hope, that God would be the pillar of fire to guide you at night and the cloud to guide you by day. For children here who have been impacted by divorce or unfaithfulness, I pray for you grace to know that you are enough, that you would be given hope for your future and an assurance that God was with you, has always been with you, and will be with you. And for all of us who look beyond the bullseye of God's perfect design every single day, may we return to our first love. May we anchor our trust in you and you alone. And may we have the courage and fortitude to be faithful as you have been faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.